Theo Vanderloop from Eagle Q Talent, and you're listening to Interview Under Fire. It's everyone sunny back here with another new episode of interview under fire theo vanderloo thank you so much for joining our podcast today on iuf this is a big time of the year for you and the guys over at ego kill talent with the release of your upcoming second studio album the dance between extremes on bmg records is that correct exactly yes. yeah which has yet to have an actual release date is that also correct yes okay so you know, first off, congratulations on all the well-deserved recognition has been getting so far, especially with those three singles you put out. But before we get to all that, I'm going to ask a very important question that I've been asking all my guests. It's a simple question, but I think during the last six months, it's an important one to ask. How are you? <laughs> How have yeah. things been for you and the band as of late? And, you know, our lives have pretty much, you know, been changed since March. How's life in Sao Paulo right now? Yeah, man. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. Um... Uh... Man, it's been crazy because we were supposed to be doing a world tour this year. I mean, yeah. we had so many great gigs aligned. We were supposed to start the year actually in March by touring with uh, Metallica and Greta Van Fleet, stayed Gosh. in South America. And then that, we that, doing- sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That, sent- that. that sentence alone is just, it's yeah. a huge impact. Sorry. And I am a huge Metallica fan. I mean, same. James Hadfield is like my, my main guitar influence. So we were supposed to start the year by playing with Metallica and Greta Van Fleet, five stadiums in South America. And then we would do a festival in Mexico. And then like four festivals in the U.S. with Metallica. And from there, we were supposed to go to Europe and do uh, arena days with System of a Down and then support the Foo Fighters in a couple shows and do most of the summer festivals in Europe. I mean, man, we had so many great stuff aligned. And then the COVID came and, you know, it's, it's one of those situations that there is absolutely nothing you can do. You know, to, you just got to accept it and, and, you know, go with the flow. So it's been, it's been kind of, I'm, I mean, we try to not stay bitter about everything uh, because we understand, I mean, there are people out there going through so much, uh, like, way worse scenarios than, than, than the one we have. But it is sometimes when you stop and think about, like, oh, shit, we were supposed to be you know, touring the world right now. And we just love playing live. We just love doing shows. That's, that's why we put the band together because we like to play live. And then, yeah, I mean, we've been in touch with each other, the band, and, and coping with the situation, really. Man, you know, staying busy or staying positive just in general yeah. during these challenging times is easier said than done. Which, by the way, I have a story about Metallica we'll get to in a little bit, and, and I promise it's a good one. But I wanted to ask, you know, being away from the stage a lot as of late. And I know live presence is something that you guys actually take seriously. It's a very important part of who Ego Kill talent is. Theo, how are you keeping up your guitar chops and bass playing these days? Is is it affecting your musicianship? Has anything changed for your routine wise at all? Yeah, Yeah, well, actually, like you said, I, I try to keep myself busy as much as I can. And I love meditating, for instance. So I try to meditate every day, like two, three times a day. That really helps. And I try to play guitar like almost every day. Uh, I, I, it's not always that I can do it, but I would say most of the days. And what we did, actually, we uh, – maybe you can hear my dog here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. So what we did is uh, a couple months ago, we decided to test for COVID, the whole band, the five of us and the crew. And we went on studio and we played for like a couple weeks. And, and then we shot a few, like six live sets, like with videos and, we, you know, cameras everywhere. And we made videos and, and actually we just released the first set of the series that we we're calling uh, live on the flat screen. And so, yeah, playing that was cool, you know. We also did a live live stream, like a two hours set and, and conversations and all that. So we did play a little bit during the pandemic. Uh, we also recently did a drive-in show at a stadium here uh, in Sao Paulo, okay. uh, where Bob Bernquist, the, the skater, he did, he put the skate ramp there and he was skating and we were playing and that was, that was really interesting. 
very different experience, right? Man, like I, I grew up, I grew up watching that guy. So that, that's oh, amazing. really, yeah. He's a very, he's a very good friend. And so he, he decided to do this event called uh, spot lab sessions. And basically he invited a bunch of great skaters and he, he did this, he put this like huge half pipe right in front of the stage and we played, we're going to release videos of it. And we played. I can't a, wait. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're gonna like it. We played a 35 minute set. I mean, and it was so cool because I had. I mean, Bob, Bob, like I told you, he's a good friend. And there were a couple, a couple times he invaded our stage skating. You know, like in Rock and Rio and Lollapalooza in Brazil. And for that was the first time that I managed to invade his ramp while playing you know so it was really cool so I, I i had a wireless for my guitar and so i just went to to the ham to the ramp where he was and then we you know it was really cool to rock there and play guitar while he was just like right in front of me skating that was really cool that happened like like two or three weeks ago and that was the last time the band played together so you know we we're trying to to every once in a while meet and then we test for COVID and we play. Uh, we are already writing some new songs. And, you know, as you said, we're keeping ourselves busy. And we wish we were touring because we love touring. We love, I mean, we leave for, for hitting the stage, you know, and, 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 and playing. But we got to wait for touring to happen again. I'm not sure when, man. Yeah, man, Dio, you touched on so many topics that I just want to jump on immediately. But so for Bob, man... I'm going to just put out the fan at me really quick because I, I first saw Bob skate 20 years ago in the 2000 X games. I'm sure you can relate like, because we know that he made his name being at that event. Is Sandro Diaz also a Brazilian? That skateboarder? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I wanted to ask, I feel like it's just the person I should ask. I should ask you. I remember seeing him and Bob like team up a lot, but you know, I want to go back to the point about performing live I want to tell you something that I did because now, now that you're mentioning it, I, I was going to tell you that story about Metallica. I went to my first ever drive-in show three weeks ago in Dallas. Yeah. Believe it or not, that was my first time ever attending a Metallica concert. Oh, really? I have, I've seen so many bands live. I'm sure you've seen the behemoth uh, yeah, yeah. black behind me. I've seen so many bands live. Metallica wasn't one of them. So my friend was like, hey, Metallica's doing this live streaming event, which I had no idea. It was a... It was a nationwide thing. Um, I, I believe most of the state sold out. Dallas sold out. But I got there and it was crazy. It was just like just a field of cars. And we had the drive-in and then, and then you know, Headfield and Hammond and, you know, Ulrich and, you know, Trujillo. They all go on and they, they do what they do best. Yeah. And it made me miss the just the live experience even more. Because, you know, what happens when you're on stage? Oh, yeah, let me see those horns, right? Yeah. That's the most yeah. popular thing. Instead, yeah. what, what did you get? You get, hey, let me hear you honk your horns. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when you so when you uh, roll the window down, I don't know if it was the same for you guys. You just yeah. hear horns honking throughout the distance. Yeah, was, we had that too. That was crazy. Actually, we're gonna release that show as a live EP, live at the drive-in, and you, it's able you can hear that, and it's crazy. Like when the song is over, instead of hearing the crowd, where you hear honks, like, you know, it's Man. crazy. So a very popular topic on the show uh, within the last six months, and you've, and you know, of course we've talked about it is, is live streaming. A lot of the bands have been taking what they did on stage onto live. So I wanted to ask, you know, being on the road as long as you have, and for my listeners who don't know, Eagle Kill Talent, they played at Download Festival, Rock and Rio, Rock and Ring, Grass Pop. You guys played with Foo Fighters, Within Temptation. We had Sharon on the show a few months back, you know, oh, Queens, really? of the, Queens of the Stone Age, System of a Down. I mean, all these bands who are now, you know, live streaming, you know, the live show has kind of just taken like a halt, a temporary halt. But do you think the quarantine induced live streaming surge we're seeing right now from these artists? Yeah. That going to affect the touring musician business going forward. Do you still see bands doing this even after all this is over? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, actually, recent, recently we were talking with, uh, with uh, our management and they, they really think this is something that is here to stay. Like, I can, I can, I can picture that. I can picture uh, in the future, maybe you have like a Netflix of live streams, you know, 
But what I think will happen is people will live stream from concerts. So let's say what I can, what I can picture is something like, like I said, like a, like Netflix or, or Amazon prime where you, you access that hub where you can see many different artists broadcasting live tonight. So you can pick a show and a time and then you can watch it live, something like that. Yeah. I think, I think that one thing that might happen is people will start broadcast. Like, like, let's say, if we are touring Europe, we could do live streaming for Brazil and the US. And if we are touring US, we can do live, live stream for Europe. You know, this kind of situation. Yeah, especially for people who maybe don't, who don't have access. Like maybe there's some parts of the world that Eagle Kill, Kill Talent, you know, has yet yeah. to visit. Or, yeah. I, I, and with the amount of impact that you guys have made on the industry, like just the, the world of recognition I've been talking about, I'm sure you have fans in many parts of the world who won't be able to see you because not only just COVID, I mean, even after all this is over, like maybe you just can't go there, you know, yeah, you, know you never know. I'm from, I'm from Bangladesh. We have a small metal community that's been growing every year, which I didn't even know about. Like, and people in like India and Bangladesh, they go batshit crazy for metal. I think you already know that. Of course. All yeah, the yeah. That we've seen. Yeah, yeah. I know Sepultura have a bunch of fans there. Yeah. You know, we're talking about that live experience. I want to rewind back a little bit before all this started. What was your favorite part about touring? Cause you know, it's six years. You guys yeah. did do extensive touring. Cause we're talking, you know, you like culture fans, yeah. even the food, so many things to pick apart about what makes touring amazing. Cause now you're taking like an unseen step back. Like it was an unpredictable yeah. thing. Does it make you have a growing appreciation a growing appreciation of the touring life now? Yes, I uh, definitely miss touring a lot. We, like I said, we did a lot of touring. I, I, like when, when we decided to put this band together, we really wanted, from the beginning, we wanted to be a band that, that delivers a good live show, right? So for yeah. us, everything really, it's, it's, it's centered and focused on, on delivering a good show. So this is something that it's, that it's always in the back of our heads. And it's hard for us not to be touring right now. And I think that what we miss the most really is just, just performing live, you know, just, just like connecting with the crowd and delivering our music the way we think is the best way to deliver it, which is playing it live. So and what we miss the most is delivering, is delivering the music, you know, it's putting it out, you know, that's what yeah. we miss the most for sure. Can I ask you about food? Yeah, is, yeah, is, well, is there a restaurant that just stands out in your head when yeah. I ask you, okay, what stood out when you like, what, what food stood out the most? Like, what did you love? Like there's, I mean, look at all the places you guys have played and visited. Yeah. I, I gotta ask that question. Look, I'm, I, I love Japanese food. So right whenever I have a day <laughs> off, I ask where's, where's the best Japanese place in town. And I just, just want to go there. So I do miss that. And I like trying new Japanese restaurants. My dogs are like, <laughs> I think you said yeah. the word food and maybe that just yeah. got them going. <laughs> they, they, they got it. So uh, I always look for like Japanese restaurants and man, in Europe, you can eat really well in touring, especially in Italy. They have, um, man, Italian food is really amazing. So it's, I, I do miss that. And actually miss like going out because even here, I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't, been in a restaurant since March. So wow. it, I yeah. don't know how the situation is uh, down in Sao Paulo and Dallas. It's man, Dallas, it's so backwards. So we, you don't know if we're, you're going to phase two or phase three, then we go back to phase two. And then I don't know, it's like back and forth. What is it like over there? Cause I know you guys got pretty hit hard, like over the summer. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same. I don't know if it, the situation has improved at all in any scale. Well, it is, it is, it is so tricky because uh, that's, I mean, the, the, the COVID pandemic is the kind of situation that I don't know if, if you know anyone who died. Uh, I happen to, to, to know, and it's mm. scary. You know, when, when, it, when someone that you know and that is close to you dies so fast because of this thing, it just, it just make, make you, makes you worry, you know. Um, with me was a, a very good friend of mine, mom's. She died and was really quickly in like 10 days. And she was really healthy. Uh, she never smoked. She, she wasn't fat, you know. 
So it was very, very scary for me. So because of that, you know, my girlfriend, she, she can have some trouble breathing. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing bad, but sometimes she just wake, wakes up during the night. You know, it might be allergies or something, but she, sometimes she have like a hard time breathing. So because of that, we are very concerned because we don't know how she would react if she gets it, right? Yeah, and then there's, there's people, um, I know you want to add something to that, but I was going to say, you know, there's people who don't take this seriously. I'm yeah. so sorry you had to go through that. And, you know, my condolences. I have family in Italy um, who actually had the virus, you know? It, it changes your perspective yeah. when you know someone who has it. And she, has a, she had a two-year-old, and she had to be quarantined in the basement while her husband had to watch, had to watch the two-year-old. So I was, I was, you know, keeping in touch with my cousin if she was okay. And she was actually getting worse. And this was, you know, when Italy was like the first, I don't want to say the first, but one of the worst countries to get hit when this first started back in March and she got it. So the situation was bad. Of course, they're doing much better over there. I mean, of course it's still going on the pandemic and so on, but. uh, Yeah. In the case of this friend of mine, it was crazy because his dad, was totally like, oh, this is not, this is, it's not that bad, you know. His dad didn't really believe in it, so he was like, he he wasn't taking really good care of himself. Then he got it. His dad got it, and he had no symptoms. Like just one one day, he felt a little of a sore uh, throat. I'd say a sore throat, but just yeah. like, just like for like one night, and then he was good the next day. But his wife got it really bad, and she passed away. In like, like I told you, like, it was like a matter of in 10 days, she was in coma. Oh my so gosh. it's, uh, yeah, it is again, scary. Again, my condolences, you know, my listeners out there, I mean, I know you guys listen to the show, but it's just please take care of yourselves. It's and the artists. They're just as impact, impacted as we are. And I mean, yeah. just be responsible. As easy as that sounds, as simple as that sounds. I mean, I feel like it's just too much to ask. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. But I just feel like if we're being responsible people, we can get through this time. Now I want to, you know, switch gears here back to your live experience. This is very unique to me because given that you guys do have multiple members playing multiple instruments and you play basic guitar, Theo, you know, does that make the process more easier or challenging for you? Does a different lineup change the sound or something like that even matter for you? Because it's a very unconventional approach when it comes to live music. It's very interesting. I think it keeps the listener, the audience engaged with the artist as you see them you know, two people playing drums. Like, when do you see that? No, it's yeah. not often. Yeah, I, I, you know, I feel like I should explain to you how this came to happen. Uh, it wasn't something... In a nutshell, we, if you had yeah. to. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't something that, that we, we, we kind of, like, really planned. You know, it was... The, what happened was, when we started a band, we did not have uh, a bassist, right? Okay. And Jean, who is one of the drummers... He used to play in Sepultura, actually. He played in Sepultura. For yeah, for yeah, he years. did. Yeah. yeah, so he left Sepultura and we started the band and we had him on the drums, me and the guitars and, and another guy in the guitars who ended up leaving the band later. But we had like two guitars and one drummer and we didn't have a bass player. And then Rafael, who is a very good friend of mine and a, an amazing drummer, he listened to the, um, to the demos. Like we had like three songs in the demos and he was like, I want to join the band. And I, I told him, man, I love you, but we already have a drummer, you know? I mean, we can't, sorry. And he goes like, I don't care. You don't have a bassist. I can play bass. <laughs> and he's and, uh, <laughs> yeah, so he joined the band to play bass. And I guess like after two weeks playing bass, he goes like, uh, actually what happened was we, we started a rehearsal and then Jean, he asked me for my guitar because he wanted to show me a guitar riff that he wrote. So he starts playing that guitar riff and he goes to Raphael and he says, can you go to the drums and just so we write this song, you know, just so we develop this idea. So Rafa went to the drums and Jean played the guitar. So I picked the bass. I was like, okay, so let me play the bass so we can write this song. So we wrote the song like that and we really liked, you know, the way it was sounding. And after like four hours playing like that, we looked at each other and we were like, should we just play this song like this? I mean, let's just embrace the challenge and play like this live and record it like this. Let's do it. And everybody, everybody liked the idea and we were really pumped. And to answer your question, I think that this dynamic that we developed, which is like 
it doesn't really matter who is playing what as long as it's delivering what we think the song needs. And we also, around that time, we decided that we will, from, from that day on, we would sign the songs. Everyone signs all the songs. So we all are, are songwriters. We all write the songs because in our dynamic, it's just so hard to say, you know, who wrote what. Because sometimes, like, it happened, it happened before, like, Jian would be playing, like, a guitar riff and not even noticing it. And I would turn to him and say, hey, I think this is an amazing guitar riff. And he goes, like, what? And then I picked the guitar and I kind of show him what he played. And he was like, I didn't even notice I played that. So, and that became a song. So, we just built a atmosphere where it doesn't like, really matter. It's good chemistry, I see, that yeah. you guys... It is. And it, this really is something that we try to, you know, to, to feed and to, to take care of because, I mean, human beings are, are tricky. So, you know, relationships are tricky. So we, we, we keep a, uh, our eyes open to make sure we have, we keep this healthy relationship and chemistry that we have. So, to answer your question, I think the fact that we exchange instruments for us, I mean, for the live performance, we are just used to it. We don't even notice we do it. I mean, it's just part of the set. And it's just, I mean, in my head, it's just like, okay, if this song is, is here in the set, that means I play the bass. And it's, not, it's just so natural, you know. We don't think of that song in any other way. That's wow. just the way the song is. So it, it many, t I mean, we really don't even notice anymore un until someone brings, brings it up like you just did. And it was like, yeah, it is, it is interesting. But I, it happened so many times, like we would finish a show and, and I, a new fan would come and say, oh my God, I was so impressed with the, with the instrument swapping. And, and was like, oh yeah, we do that. I forgot, you know? So it's just, it's so common for us. But I think that the most valuable thing is the fact that we there 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 are no fixed characters you know there are no like the guitar player or the drummer it's a band you know and and it's the, it's like an animal and everybody we just do whatever it's needed for the song i think that also shows dedication to your craft and when i say chemistry uh, you can't even i can't stress that even any further because you guys that right there just shows how much chemistry and how much um you know just how, how deep the connection is within the musicians, how you can just play it and you can switch the members and not even realize you guys didn't even do that. You know, I think that's an amazing thing. Yeah. Speaking of amazing, I know we talked about a lot of things. I promise we'll get to the second album right now. <laughs> the dance between extremes that comes out. And I know you guys don't have a, a specific release date for it yet, but when I heard the three singles that came, that came out, uh, which is now life porn and the call, it was a mix between heavy and then there's rock and then there's pop. You, it, it's kind of almost like an oxymoron mixing the three together, yeah. but you guys did it so well. And we talked about Metallica, Sepultura, Foo Fighters. You guys incorporate that sound. And if I'm correct, this album is split up in three parts. Yeah. The dance having those three singles, yeah. the dance between, and the dance between extremes. Yeah. So what influenced this structure of a release style? Yeah, well, actually, it was the COVID. Uh, we we were supposed wow. to yeah we were supposed to release the full album. We were actually were supposed to release the first single in March uh, before the Metallica tour, and then the full album uh, in May. I think in the first System of a Down show that we were supposed to be uh, supporting them. So when the COVID situation came up and we realized that tours were were all canceled in the year we we decided at first the first thing we did was just like we we hit pause on everything on every plan we had for album release we were like yeah. hey, wait a minute i mean what's happening you know are we talking a six months delay on on touring are we talking a year or you know two years but after like two or three months we realized that this thing is here to stay for a while so we, we the, uh, the label BMG, uh, I mean, with whom we have a great relationship, they came to us and they said, you guys are free to do whatever you want, but we really think you should release the album during the pandemic. You know, we should not wait 
And for us, we, we, we were like very, you know, uh, divided because, I mean, when you write an album and especially in the case of this one that we, we recorded at 606, you know, the Foo Fighters studio and we were in LA for three months and we had so many expectations for that album and especially for uh, representing the album live, you know, and then there's no touring. We were like, we, our, our hearts were like, you know, should we hold this until we can release the album and tour or what should we do? And then BMG said, no, you guys should release it. You know, we don't know how long this is going to take. So we decided to release the album during the pandemic and we, we figured that wouldn't be smart to release all at once because we don't know how long people will stay at home. So we felt like if we slice the release, it, it, keeps, it, it keeps a flow of new music to the fans, you know, and to everyone out there. Yeah. So we decided to release it in three parts. And we released the first part, which is the dance, with, with the three singles you mentioned now, uh, Life Born and The Call. And I think what you described about the songs is exactly how we perceive ourselves. Uh, we are a heavy rock pop band. <laughs> that's <know>? perfect. <laughs> that's, that's, we love that. And, and I mean, we can, I mean, literally, you, if, if you are in my house, you, you would see me digging a Gojira show on YouTube, like for an hour and a half. In my the morning. favorite band, just putting yeah, that I, out there. <laughs> I love Gojira and I love Magma. So, so, a day in my life, you would see me like watching a Gojira show like this. And then a few hours later, maybe watching Tears for Fears. And then <laughs> at night, listening to Billie Eilish with my girlfriend and really enjoying all of that. Like, you know, I think that for me, I mean, when I was, when I was younger, I was really only into heavy bands. We only had, I would only listen to Metallica, Sepultura, Pantera and Guns N' Roses. Yep, Guns N' Roses was like the, the, the lightest band that I would listen to and I love Guns N' Roses. So yeah, I, I would always Metallica, Sepultura, Pantera and Guns N' Roses. That's it, right? And then, I, I don't know, as it, was, as it was growing up and then I got introduced to Genesis and Phil Collins and Queen, you know, and, and other stuff that are still on the rock atmosphere but not as heavy as the bands I used to listen to. And then you start to go like, oh, that's some interesting stuff here. And then at some point, it, it just, for me, it really became about uh, the melodies and the harmonies and the guitar riffs. So yeah. those are three things, actually four things that I really enjoy in a, in a song is, is harmonies, melodies, lyrics. And if there is a very cool guitar riff or bass riff, you know, so and. I think, I, actually I know the whole band feels the same. So yeah, I guess that our challenge is just to find a way to put all that in our songs. And we are very happy with the results we are achieving. Um, I mean, just the fact that you tell me that you feel those aspects in our music, it's, it's already great to me because it is, our rea it, it is true to us. You know, it's, it's funny how you mentioned Billie Eilish because by the way, before I go on, your favorite Gojira album is Magma? I like Magma a lot. Okay. Yeah. My favorite is The Way of All Flesh because yeah. I, I, remember like I love all the... I remember when they came to Dallas, it was their first ever North American headlining tour in like ever. It was 2009 and Dallas was, I think it was the last day and we played, it was literally like the size of this room and they, they played there. Of course, now they're playing huge yeah. festivals. It's, it's really cool to see a band like Gojira and even a band like yourselves, you know, start from where you guys are to where you are right now. You know, where you guys started from to where you guys are right now. It shows the growth and shows the maturation in your sound. And I could be listening to a band like, I don't know, Cannibal Corpse, and then listen to Sarah McLaughlin later. Yes. <laughs> That's actually me. <laughs> yeah. I understand you. I really, I really do. And, and for me, it's, it's like food, man. There might be a day that you want a very spicy and heavy food. And some other day you, you feel like you want from, pizza yeah, or you want Yeah, pizza. I'm from Bangladesh. We, we, we're, we're about spicy and heavy food. You know that. Yeah, I do. And I like it. And, and, it's, and 
you know, it, it, the fact that you like one kind of food does not mean that that you you will despite another kind of food, right? Yeah. And it's just a matter of what you feel like eating. So, like, some mornings I wake up and I go like, okay, I really want to listen to some meshuga or to some sofa, you know? I really want to listen to that. And like I said, in the same day and night, I might go like, I want to listen to Bon Iver. And, <laughs> you know... Because I feel like that know? would be. It. I would actually love to see that show. If that was over a show. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine yeah. that lineup? Oh, um, yeah. There was a there was a there was a band I interviewed earlier uh, in the summer. It's a thrash metal band named Onslaught, and they the the bassist uh, Jeff Williams. He was telling me how they shared the same stage with Backstreet Boys. Oh. Like a tour in China. <laughs> like, when do you see that? And th- I think the mix that, that you guys have between heavy rock and pop, it appeals to the masses because you guys are pulling in attention from all different corners of the genre. Can you imagine? Like, it's yeah. like it, you could get someone who's interested in only Billie Eilish. I don't mm-hmm. know if your girlfriend's like the same way. Like, she would be into Gojira too or something like that. Yeah, actually, actually, it, she went to a Gojira show with me. And, did, you, did you go to was it rock in rio no it was it was uh actually i wasn't there but i i saw the only gojira show i saw was with guns and roses in holland actually what happened oh was we, we, we i'm getting just, goosebumps as you're telling yeah, us <laughs> we had just finished our tour and i have family in holland so the the band flew back to brazil and i decided to stay in holland for a couple more weeks and my girl flew in to meet me so we can, you know, have time with family there. And, and then a friend of mine who promotes festivals there, music festivals, he called me and he said, I'm doing a Guns N' Roses show uh, tomorrow and Gojira is a support act. It's sold out. Do you want to come? And I said, yes. So I went there <laughs> and actually he told me the story that Slash specifically asked for Gojira to support that show. Wow. So Ojira flew in just for that one show. In I mean, I, I shouldn't even be surprised. That that shows respect. That yeah. shows, I think that, that shows the bond that, you know, I mean, you could lump Gojira and Guns N' Roses together in some form, but I mean, those are two different respective genres within metal and rock, but it shows, it shows like the, the companionship with the bands. That, that shows a lot of respect. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even no. know that. That's amazing. Yeah. It was really, I was really impressed and it was a great show. It was like a, uh, Gojira had like a 45 minute set. They, they played a bunch of uh, Magma songs, which I really liked. Can I, can I ask you, since we're on the subject, what was your favorite, what's your favorite song? I like Silvera a lot. Okay. I, I like the three first ones, like on a row. I, I like the whole album, man. It, it's funny you say that because I think, you know, my favorite is actually later in the album with, um, I think it's, magma prey and pray i love pray and then only pain pray. did you Holy see the did you did you ever see the extended version like when they play um pray live oh my gosh like they, 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 they did play pray live on that show that i saw man that's yeah. i think that that's probably my favorite one off the album but anyway we could talk about goji on a whole different episode that we could just talk about them forever but you know and i, I want to mention some names out to you which which i think it's it's just as important john Dolmayan, roy mayorga yeah. And of course, we mentioned Bob Bernquist. What was the experience like bringing in outside professionals in their respective fields into your world of making music? Did it make the process easier knowing that they were present or there? Yeah, well, actually, uh, of, of those three names, the only one that really was planned was John from System. Uh, John is a very good friend. And I mean, John and Serge, I'm, I'm, I'm really close to, to both of them. And they are such great people and they really helped us. John is a big supporter of the band. He wa- John was, I think he was the first person outside of the band to ever see us playing on a rehearsal. So it was, except for maybe girlfriends. So and <laughs> since the beginning, John was like, okay, you guys, you guys have something here, you know, go for it. So we wrote a song with John and we were like we were looking forward to have him on the album but Roy Mayorga it was a, it was crazy how that happened because we Steve Abbott is the producer of the album and 
we wanted to have a drum machine to start a song. And I remember Steve, he was looking specifically for one drum machine from the 90s or the 80s. Okay. And they did not have it at 606. They have everything at 606, but they did not have that. <laughs> everything specific. but that. Yeah, but that drum machine. And then Steve goes like, okay, I'll call a friend. And then he, call, he calls a friend and he goes like, okay, tomorrow my friend's here with the drum machine. And in the next morning, the friend is Roy Mayorga. <laughs> so Roy comes in and it happens that actually I, I had a dinner with Roy like 15 years back when he, he helped Sepultura right when Igor left. It was like before Roy went to Stone Sour, it was like right before he went to Stone Sour, he came, he came, to, he came to Brazil to do a couple of shows with Sepultura. So I met him 15 years back. So anyway, so it was Chris City. I don't know if you remember that, but we had dinner. He was like, oh, I remember that. So yeah. So, so he ended up programming that drum, machi- that drum machine for that song. So that, that's how he's in the album. And he's an amazing guy. He spent the day there with us and was very, very, like, a very nice vibe, you know, having him around. And, and then Bob Burnquist, that was crazy because um, we, I've, I've been in his mega ramp. You know, we have, like, an X Games mega ramp at his yeah. house. Is and, it the, yeah, yeah, okay. I was thinking of something different because the X Games, they have, the, they have that big air jump. Yeah, he which, had that. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Okay. He had the mega ramp with the air jump like it's it's crazy it's scary <laughs> yeah it is scary so uh i, I remember i've been in his house in california before i think it's vista the name of the, the place where he lives okay but i haven't seen him rolling down the mega ramp i mean in person right i've seen videos and everything but i've been in his house like a couple of times but it was raining so i, I never really saw it and I called him and it goes like, hey, Bob, are you in California? And he says, yes, I'm here. And I'm like, yeah, we are here at 606. Do you want to stop by one day and, you know, just hang and, and maybe we can go to, to the mega ramp and watch you skate? He said, yeah, for sure, man. So like two days later, he drove uh, to L.A. to spend like the evening with us and sleep. At, we, we rented a house there. So he slept at the house, and then the next morning we drove with him to the mega ramp, which was like two hours away, to watch him skate, right? So when he was at the studio, uh, actually before, oh, actually we went to his house before that, but he didn't skate. And we saw he had a bunch of, per, of per, uh, how to say, per, uh, percussion, percussion stuff. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so I was like, do you play percussions? He said, yes. And actually he had a band with Eddie Vedder's brother. Yeah. Oh look, yeah. Look, at, look at this time pad. Like just this yeah. going on. It's everything's crazy. connected. <laughs> everything's connected. And he was like, "Yes, he had the band. I had a band with Eddie Vedder's brother." And actually, he told me a fun story that one day he did, they were they did a show, and Eddie Vedder he couldn't really go out to the crowd because people would just like they wouldn't let. So they were playing this outdoor situation, and then Eddie Vedder just parked the car. And he was watching the show from across the street, like in a square or something. And Bob was playing percussion, like seeing that Eddie Vedder was right there, but he couldn't come. Bob is pretty, Bob is pretty close to, to some guys in Pearl Jam. But anyway, so I saw the, all the, per, the percussion there. And I go like, Do you, so you play percussion, right? He said, yes. And, and I said, you know, maybe you can, you can record something at the album. And he said, you came here, I would love that. So... So when he when he came to the studio, he already had everything in his car. Like all the percussions were there, and we we're like, "Yes, we need some percussions in the song." So he recorded percussions, the same song that Roy Mayorga did the drum machine. So it's interesting. We have like electronic drum machine from Roy Mayorga and like percussion from Bob Burnquist in the same song. Listen to what you're saying and compare it to. I mean, I know you're one of the most humble human beings I've ever met, but and then and then you're talking about slash requesting gojira look at the people that you've worked with and just the yeah. and, and and foo fighters asked to tour with you right they asked they actually asked you guys yeah what happened was uh foo fighters fan club in brazil they were fans of of eagle q talent and there you go 
Yeah, what I understand that happened was the Foo Fighters Brazilian fan club reached Foo Fighters management in the U.S. and said, we'd really like to have Eagle Kill Talent supporting the Brazilian tour. And, and then management, the Foo Fighters management called, called me, actually. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it was very... It's like, yeah, all right, yeah, of course. But the way the phone call happened was like, my phone rang. We had just played Rock and Rio. And, okay, is this Steve Vanderlo? said, yes, okay, you have uh, John Silva on the line for you. And then I picked the phone. It's John Silva, who's a Foo Fighters manager. And, and he just go like, hey, Theo, what are you guys doing in this date? And then he just wrote, read to me a few dates. And then I'm like, we I'm are canceling we are. everything. And then- <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm totally available. Whatever you need, I'm available. <laughs> And he goes like, yes, because I want, I want to put you in some Foo Fighters shows. Are you up to? I said, you kidding me? Yes. And, and, and I remember that that was a situation. And the world is so small. The world is an oyster. Because I remember, here's what happened. He told me, I, I don't think I can give you some Paulo date. Because you guys are already announced for Lollapalooza. And Lollapalooza is happening one month, exactly one month after the Foo Fighters show. And I think it's too close one to another. And I don't want to mess with Lollapalooza plans. And then I I go like, look, John, um, I think Lollapalooza, it's almost sold out. And I don't think they they would bother that we play with the Foo's one month before. I think they they would actually like it. And he goes like, I don't know. I said, well, I just want you to know that I would talk to them and I will let you know if that is a problem or not. And he said, yes, I don't think you guys are doing some follow. And I, I said, okay, we, of course, we wanted everything, right? Yeah. So I was like, okay. So I called, I called Lola Palooza and, and I explained the situation. It actually happens that the guy running the artistic, the A&R of Lola Palooza Brazil on that time, he was a very good friend of mine. So I call him and I go like, hey, here's the situation. I just, just hung up the phone with the Foo Fighters management. They, they want us to support them on the tour, but they are concerned about, about uh, Lollapalooza. Would that be a problem for you? And he goes like, give me five minutes, I'll call you back. And then I hung up the phone, five, exactly five minutes, he called me back and he go like, would not be a problem. I just checked with everyone here. We are almost sold out, this would not be a problem. Just go ahead and do it. And then I just wrote John and I said, hey, I emailed him. I said, I, I spoke with Lollapalooza. They are fine with it. This would not be a problem. Uh, I mean, we are m- more than willing to do it. We would love to do it. Thank you very much anyway. And that, that was it. He never replied me. And then you, f- you fast forward like three months. And we didn't, I never heard back again. How long ago and was this? Th- this was in 2018. Okay, okay. They announced with us on, on somebody. They never told me they were going to do that. They just announced with us on, on the Sao Paulo day. And it felt great. And the reason I'm saying this, the world is an oyster, it's because now we are managed by C3, who happens to yeah. own Zorbalooza. And we, we weren't back then. So it was, uh, it was crazy, right? I mean, they were, we were cool to them because we asked them and they were really cool to us. And they said, yes, do it. And, and you fast forward a few years, we are managed by C3, which is crazy. You know what's also crazy? I interviewed uh, Jimmy Chamberlain, who's a drummer for Smashing Pumpkins recently. Yeah. He told me one thing, and I'm thinking about that as you're telling me this. It feels like the universe knows what it's doing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know what? That, that, what you just said is something that I learned the hard way. And the reason I learned the hard way is because I suffered – too, I suffered too many times unnecessarily because sometimes what happens is you think in your head that you know what is supposed to happen with you. You think you know what would be the best for you to happen. Mm-hmm. And then life or the universe just, just don't deliver what you think should be happening to you. Or, or, or let's say, let's say you, you, you were looking so much forward to get a conf- If you are a band, you were looking so much to get confirmed to do one thing and that thing doesn't happen. And I used to be like really sad, upset when, when something that I was looking forward to that I had expectations got, gets canceled or something. 
But one thing that I learned, and this is, this is a real thing. It's not like mumbo jumbo. It's for real. Don't go against the universe because when you go with the flow, and that happened with this band, with Eagle Q Talent, so many times. When we go with the flow, we always get more than what we were looking for. Always. So it's like many, it's the same thing with the pandemic. We were like, hey, we, we were supposed to be touring. And with Metallica, System of a Down, Foo Fighters, Fate No More, all these amazing bands. God, Fate yeah. No More. Yeah. Sorry, and, like you're blowing my mind right now. <laughs> yeah, it was like, but one thing that I, that I keep exercising is, okay, this was not supposed to happen. Because actually there is an Indian saying that said, whatever was supposed to happen, happens. So if it doesn't happen, it wasn't supposed to happen. So I, one thing, yeah. That, yeah. So one thing that I actually, I think the saying goes like, everything that happened was exactly what was supposed to happen. So, so it's, it's now, interesting. As you're saying that, uh, hey, everything's connected. Maybe I was supposed to tell you this, you know, the, my interaction yeah. with Jimmy. Yeah. There's another, there's another uh, it's called Murphy's Law, like whatever can happen will happen. I don't know if that's the same meaning, but I, I get exactly what you're saying. All these bands that you mentioned, all these management, all, all this just interaction on how everything kind of just lined up for you. And you personally, you've made a significant impact with the tours and bands that you've engaged with, along with Eagle Cult Talent and the rest of your bandmates. So I want to ask you this. Have your aspirations as a person or a band have they changed or evolved since when you first started playing music in the industry? Do you see things differently now? Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, when I started, uh, I was, man, the first time I decided I wanted to be in a band, I was like 13 years old. And <laughs> it was because of Guns N' Roses, actually. And I, saw, I had many bands since then. And there was a, a, a moment in my life that I was really tired of, of the music industry. And I really decided, you know, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I want to do something else with my life. I was really done with it. And I really was. So Jean left Sepultura and he calls me and he goes like, let's have a coffee. And then we met up for a coffee and then he was like, I just left Sepultura. What are you up to? And I was like, man, I haven't touched my guitar in like three or four years. And I don't even know where my amplifiers are. I just like, they are with friends in studios and I'm out of that. You know, I don't want to do it anymore. And Jim goes like, are you, are you fucking crazy? Let's jam. <laughs> and that was how the band started. Uh, and you're telling me this with like three bass guitars like behind you right now. I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and actually, the irony. A, look at that. Hang on. This is a Bob Burns. Oh my gosh! Uh, is that his signature right there? Yeah, it, it says to my brother's Eagle Q talent, and in Portuguese. Para meus irmãos, Igor Kutalan, Bob Bernicus. This was when he came into Lollapalooza stage. Holy shit. <laughs> cool, right? I have Tony Hawk Pro Skater like sitting right there across the room yeah. from me, and now you're showing me this. <laughs> uh, but, but, but to answer your question, so, man, I, I was like, when we started this band, I, I just didn't want the bullshit anymore, you know? And, and one thing that I did not want was... I'm not even talking about the music industry bullshit. I was talking about my own bullshit, you know, of really, because when you are in a band, you want that so badly that you end up sacrificing your, your own happiness and you get anxious and you get a little obsessed with the fame, you know, and I got to get there. I got to, you know, I got to make it. I got to make it. And it's not worthy with anything in life. You know, you got to enjoy the ride because it's about the ride. Mm -hmm. there, there are no finish lines, you know, there, there would never be a moment. And I, I can tell you, I mean, I'm in a band that is doing pretty well. And we had some pretty important landmarks, like when we played the first rock and reel, and then we played, we got confirmed to tour with the Foo Fighters and Queens of the Stone Age, five stadiums. And then we got confirmed to tour with System of a Down Europe. And then, so every time you have a new landmark, when I tell you this, you might, you know, if you have a band, you can, you can think something like, oh, when I'm there, when I am doing these things that Eagle Q Talent is doing, then I'll be happy. 
then then I'll, I'll achieve what I'm looking for. But that's it's an illusion because yeah. when you get there, you're already looking for what's next, and because that's how we are wired. That's how we are we are wired to be always looking for what's next, and there won't be a moment when this will stop. But now, you can yeah. stop now whenever you want or never. I so. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish that. It's about enjoying the ride. It's really about enjoying the ride. Enjoy what you're doing. And this is something that I learned from, from the music industry. Like to answer your question, what I changed, and I think that all of us in the band, we, we try to keep ourselves grounded, is like, let's enjoy what's going on now. You know, let's, and if what's going on now is just the five of us having a beer, that's what we will enjoy. And if what's happening now is the five of us at 606, using Dave Grohl's guitar, let's enjoy, enjoy that. And maybe in one week, week later, it's going to be a Chinese restaurant. Let's enjoy that. You know, it's about that. Um, I, was, I was thinking about another question. Now, now I got to ask. I mean, do you ever think about... Has it... Okay, let me rephrase the question. Has it ever crossed your mind on what it would be like if you weren't a musician? What would you be doing instead? It did. Uh, I think <laughs> it's gonna I'm be putting on the answer. spot here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be a funny answer, but uh, there is a, there's a big chance I would be working with psychology because I just love psychology. I studied psychology at the university and I didn't finish it. I, I, I should have done it because I, 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 I left the university like literally six months before I graduated just because the music was really happening for me and I had to move from another, to another city. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I'd probably just go back to psychology or there is a good, I, I think I would love to travel uh, the world to Buddhist temples and spend some years meditating in this. I love this kind of shit, man. I think we are the biggest mysteries we have in our lives. It's our, ourselves. And that's where really the challenge lies. Your happiness is there. It's not out there. Yeah. It's in here. Did you no. ever? Did you ever see that? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think you can call it a meme, um, but it, it's like a. It was a picture of a, of the brain, like the neurons in the brain's firing off, and a picture of the universe, and they put it side to side, and it was very similar. Oh, did I haven't seen that picture. Yeah, because no. it looks so similar the way the neurons interact with each other in the brain, and how we haven't actually tapped into our full potential. Like, yeah. and I think. It goes along with what you're saying. We're constantly trying to improve ourselves. If you get to a point where, man, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, if you're rich and have a billion dollars, and you're sitting there on, on you know, in uh, Bora Bora and yeah. away on a margarita, it's, it's like, is that it? Like, is that the ceiling for you? Is are it you content? Yeah, it doesn't happen, man. It's, I mean, you can. It's, a, it's a tough analogy. I know, probably not the best one, but it, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, the, the thing is, you can either you can either be happy now or always tomorrow. Yeah, the the, the day it's and when tomorrow comes, it's tomorrow, and when tomorrow comes, it's tomorrow. Because you're always, I mean, if you condition, we are we are conditioned to create goals and to invest a lot of of our belief system. On, on, on the belief that once I achieve this goal, then I'll be happy. But when you get there, before you get there, when, we are, when you are heading to that goal, you already have an next one. You're already thinking, okay, after I get, let's like, like with a band, like we really wanted to play rock and reel. And then we confirm rock and reel. Before that, we were looking so much forward to confirm rock and reel. And then we finally confirm rock and reel. I'm going back <laughs> to the beginning of the band. And then, and then you start rehearsing for like, six months for rock and reel and as we are re rehearsing for rock and reel we heard the food fighters were going to tour the next year in brazil and so you have a new thing it's like huh i know i'm really happy with rock and reel but imagine if we tour with the food fighters and queens of the stone age and then you have this new goal and then you start you know really wanting that and and then when you get that you already know that system of a down is touring europe and maybe we can get on that tour. So it's like, it never, it never ends. It never, you're always looking for the next thing and the next thing. Yeah. And 
I really, I really, and I've met a lot of people that are very successful in what they do. A lot of musicians, a lot of actors, and also really rich people. And everybody say the same thing. It's like, it's never enough. While, while you are in the ego-like trap, mm-hmm. it's never enough. You, you, the game is look for, but never get there. You never achieve it. Because when you achieve it, it's not there anymore. It's in the next corner. Yeah, I feel like there's that drive. You have to keep yourself motivated. And if you're, if you're content, like, you know, that ego cycle, there's no motivation there. Yeah, you can, but you, here's the thing. And you have to struggle. You struggled. You know, yeah. we, I think, I think you can be, I think there are two ways you can do that. You can, here's the thing. You can look for things in the future because you think you will be happy when you have them. Or you can look for things in the future because you're happy now. You can just go like, you know, mm. I feel so good now. I'm happy with the band. I'm happy with the album we released. I hope we can tour as much as possible because I'm happy. And then while you're, it's, it's and, and one way to, looking at, to look at you are coming out of lack, like something's always lacking. And believe me, there is suffering with that. It's not like it's lacking, but I'm happy. It's lacking and I'm not happy because it's lacking, right? Yeah. So there is, you can go like that or you can go like, I'm really happy. And would I like to tour with Metallica? Of course I would. It do, I don't need to be lacking to want to tour with Metallica. <laughs> you know, I, I can tour yeah. because I like touring. And then it's just, it's not what you do, but it's how you do it. It's how much of a weight you put on it. And, and that way, if, if things get gets canceled, like, like 2020, you don't suffer as much. And, and things will go different than that you planned. I'll always go, it, I mean, you can't control everything. So the, thing so, I was, yeah, so the thing I was thinking about, I don't mean to interrupt you there, but um, count your blessings. I feel like this year has really taught me to do that. I'm finding more about myself this year than any other year. I, I'm telling you that right now, Theo. I don't know if it's the same for you. By the way, I can see why psychology was your other. <laughs> yeah, you got you got really philosophical, and and I, I'm on all of that. I mean, you you connected on all those platforms, but 2020. I'm going to go back to what I'm saying. I, I, I think you have to really count your blessings because it does make you appreciate what you didn't have before. You know, absolutely, yeah. and. Like if, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I appreciate being in my room. I appreciate that I have a bed. I appreciate that I have food on the table. I appreciate that I still get to do this, which by the way, it's great interviewing people like Chuck Billy, Max Cavalera, Doyle, Lamb oh. of God. It's great. I've had all those guests on the show. Sharon. That's, that enjoy, enjoy the ride, man. Yeah, but, ride. But, then, but then talking to people like you, that's one of my favorite things because it all really deepens the perspective you I was the shyest kid 10 years ago. I couldn't even hold a conversation to save my life. <laughs> and now you can put me in any audience and I'll connect. But I, I did that by struggling. I, I opened myself up when, you know, I mean, now people look at me like, man, Sonny, you're, you're an introvert. What the heck? How are you talking to all these people? But now it's just, it, it really, 2020 has shown me how to really be humble and stay humble and learn, learn more about myself. I'm learning more about myself than just as much as I'm learning from you guys doing these interviews and, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the music you guys create. So it, awesome. I, again, it all connects. <laughs> yeah, true. We are connected. We are all yeah. connected. Yeah. And Theo, again, I've said this before. We completed everything from top to bottom. Obviously, I'm going to have you on the show again in the near I'm future, whenever, whenever, whenever it's possible. Yeah. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, hopefully on person when, when touring is happening again. Man. Which, by the way, I'm going to tell you something after this interview is over. You're going to love it. Um, now, now, before we finish things off here, do you have any shout outs, any plugs, anything you want to mention about Ego Kill Talent or the dance between extremes, anything coming up before we finish things off here? Yeah, the only thing I have to say is follow us everywhere. Follow us on Spotify, Instagram, YouTube, because we have a lot of content to deliver. We're going to deliver a lot of new songs this year, new videos, new live sets. Uh, there's a lot of material coming up until... March next year. So just follow us everywhere. Gosh, March. That's going to be one year since yeah. the pandemic is announced. And hey, we're already six months into it. 
yeah. another six months. Maybe it'll hurt. Maybe it won't, but we'll make it. Yeah. And everyone who's listening, this is Theo Vanderloo, the humble Theo Vanderloo from Eel Kill Talent. Their Dance Between Extremes will come out soon on BMG Records. And just like Theo said, follow their socials. Support the band. Buy, you know, buy the merch. You know, the bands need your help now more than ever. They can't do what they want to do without the fans' help. You know? And streaming is great, but I, I urge you guys to buy the merch, buy the albums. I have a stack of albums in the corner of my room, and, and I'm still collecting them. So um, just do that. And Theo, man... You Thank be you. safe wherever you are. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing this. You, I can't my wait till we do this again. Yeah. Yeah. Let's Stay safe, buddy. Close my eyes, face a cliff inside. Now I'm ready to fall. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Interview Under Fire podcast. If you guys liked what you heard, please subscribe and share our channel. And please leave a five-star review as that helps us tremendously. And also, if you guys have any questions or comments, you can find us at Interview Under Fire at Facebook or at Instagram. Or you can write us directly at schwag at interviewunderfire.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-G at interviewunderfire.com. Or Rezablade, that's R-E-Z-A-B-L-A-D-E at interviewunderfire.